You're listening to Music Tectonics. Welcome back to Music Tectonics, where we go beneath the surface of music and tech. I'm your host, Dimitri Vitsa. I'm also the founder and CEO of Rock, Paper, Scissors, a PR firm that focuses on music and technology. If you haven't heard, the Music Tectonics Conference is going online this year. We want to keep our wonderful music tech community, uh, music innovators safe and sound, but we don't want to stop the networking, the deal making, and so forth. So Music Tectonics is October 27th and 28th as planned, 2020, but we're going to be online. If you go to musictectonics.com, you can find out about the conference, you can sign up for our newsletter, and you can join the Music Tectonics app, which is like a uh, vanilla Facebook for music tech and music innovators. Let's jump into today's episode. I'm super excited to have uh, some of the leaders from the great uh, music website hosting company, Banzoogle, with me. Uh, I'd like to introduce you to Stacy Bedford. She's the CEO at Banzoogle. She's also a 2019 Billboard Digital Power Player, and she has risen up the ranks, starting as head of support at Banzoogle many years ago, and now she's CEO. Stacy, how you doing? I'm great. Thanks. What an intro. <laughs> it's nice to be here. It's great to have you here. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm super excited to have this conversation with you. And I see you've brought along the coolest, Dave Cool, <laughs> Vice President of Business Development at Banzoogle. Dave, how are you? I'm great, Dimitri. Glad to be here talking to you. Yeah, awesome. Great to talk to you too. Uh, you know, you and I have run into each other so many times at various music industry conferences. I know when you started, you were you were like the blogger for Banzoogle, and you've also risen through the ranks. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Banzoogle believes in uh, promoting from within, which is which is really nice. So um, there's a lot of opportunity for the staff to uh, to do different things. Yeah, and you guys are evidence of that, which is super cool. So, Stacy, there was a minute where every band had a MySpace page, and few of them had a website. Some bands basically have ported that concept over to Facebook or Instagram, and some bands actually do have websites. Lots of them do now, but they don't even know how to update themselves. What is the state of web presence of musicians in 2020? Yeah, well, more than ever, um, now artists need a place to share with their fans. Um, and they need to be able to control that experience and even how long that experience will last. Um, so imagine like it's 2003, you've grown your entire fan base and your community only on MySpace. And eventually MySpace disappears when Facebook becomes more popular. So it's more, it's important to use whatever social media platform, whatever social media platforms are current to reach your fans with the intent of driving them to your website for the real experience. And that's more important than ever since it's not as easy to be with fans in the physical sense. With the pandemic happening, you can't tour as easily. True. So talk to your fans where they hang out on social media, drive them to your website, and then capture that information so that you can continue to communicate with them and build a relationship for as long as you both want to. Are you finding that bands are more likely to have websites now than before? Is, is there, there awareness about the importance of that? Definitely. And we're finding that since March, there's definitely been an uptick and an interest in just organizing your whole, your, your music and running things as a small business. And such an important component to your small right. business is having a website and um, being able to handle exactly what you want to do with your fans. Um, and that's something that's not easy to do on social media. So we are finding an uptick since March in um, just people being more interested in using their um, website to their best advantage right now. 
That's that's a really good point that um, that people are stuck at home and and so they're they're trying to figure out how to how to get some of those uh, things in order and uh, and to connect with fans now that they're pretty much locked in, you know um, even even before the pandemic it seems like there's been a lot of evolution in how um, how bands and and people in general are using websites. What are some cool things that bands can do with a website now that they couldn't have done like say even two years ago? Yeah, that's an interesting question because it's uh, a lot of what bands can do now that they couldn't do two years ago is really under the hood of their website. So most big Hmm. box website builders used to make you maintain a whole separate mobile site and desktop version of your site so that you're always updating and maintaining two sites. Um, And for artists who don't have a lot of extra time, that was cumbersome. So uh, some some website builders would focus on offering breakpoints, which was kind of a hack towards what we now have as responsive design. And most people take for granted that today their websites will just display perfectly across any device. So whether that's a phone, a tablet or different screen sizes, web development has come a long way in the last two years. Um, and I know at Benzoogle, we devote so much time and energy and resources on R&D to stay on top of those things. So We've always pushed ease of use as one of our unique selling propositions, and that's never been truer than it is today. So a lot of the changes and what artists could do um, two years ago really, really is dependent on how technology is evolving. Um, There's many more tools that are available, and that just depends on uh, how the music industry itself is evolving. So bands can now sell tiered subscriptions from their websites. They couldn't do that really a couple of years ago. These are all commission-free. They can raise crowdfunding and pre-orders on their websites, and that's all built in. And no other service op- offers those options as Benzoogle does right now. Gotcha. Yeah, so it's interesting to think about some of the stuff you, you kicked off that answer with uh, is really st- stuff behind the scenes. So if somebody had tried to um, launch a website a couple of years ago, they might have realized that their mobile site didn't look right or it took all these other um, kind of hoops to jump through to make it look and, and work the same way as the as the desktop or, or laptop website worked. Um, but what you're saying is that stuff is a lot more smooth now for, for, the, for the creator of the website. Yeah, and that's changed because most people are viewing websites from their mobile devices now and that shift is just happening really quickly. Um, especially when uh, with these emerging uh, economies, um, most of those uh, most of those fans in like India and China, they don't have access to laptops. Their experience is mostly on mobile devices, so that's really important right now for artists to make sure that that experience is is good for their fans. Cool. We'll get into some more of the kind of stuff you were talking about with subscriptions and and how to monetize a little bit later. But Dave, I'm curious, what are your top few pieces of advice for bands in regards to website design or web presence? Um, I guess the first piece of advice is to have a website. <laughs> what Stacey touched on the importance of that, you know, importance of owning that piece of real estate so that you can capture the fan data, um, collect emails so you can own that relationship going forward. Um, but in terms of like web presence or web design, like the two things that I emphasize, Benzoogle does a lot of these website demolition derby panels at conferences uh, in the pre-pandemic world where we'd pull websites on a screen at a, at a conference and do public website reviews, which is kind of fun, interactive format. And the two things that always came up were the importance of using professional photos. Like we tell musicians they should be spending more money on their photography and getting professional photos than they are on their website because the photos are so important to the brand that you're creating 
to that first impression that you're creating when someone lands on your website. And you're going to use those photos for your website, your press kit, and your social media profiles. So professional photos is probably the biggest piece of advice and also just keeping it simple. A lot of musicians have a lot of content and they try to put everything on the homepage or, you know, and it, it's often better to just keep it simple, make sure it's clean, easy to navigate, easy to find content or information that people are looking for. And, and for musicians to keep in mind that there's going to be their current fans visiting their website, there's going to be their potential new fans visiting their website, and there's going to be industry and media visiting their website. So you have to have content on there that, you know, uh, that all of those three audiences are going to be looking for. Right. That makes sense. Can we talk about URLs? Uh, Stacy? every band or company has to consider what URL they should get. Sometimes it influences what band name they choose, um, just, just to even know if the URL is available. Curious what advice you have for <clears throat> bands or artists settling on a band name and what sort of URL they should be aiming for. Yeah, uh, you definitely want to make sure that your band name is easy to return in Google search results and that it's not subject to any copyrights first and foremost. I can't provide advice on the later, but um, I can tell you that if you decide to call your band the Play-Dohs, you're only going to be jumping through hoops and spending so many of your precious resources and time and money. And it, I've rarely seen that go over well. So you want to make sure that your name is <laughs> is available to use. Um, and on the former, um, coming up with some unique spelling is really smart. You don't want to be competing with popular search terms, especially in the early days as you establish yourself. Um, and lastly, uh, top-level domains such as .coms uh, are still king. Um, so we're starting to see artists registering uh, .band TLDs, or but ge generic TLDs are still the most popular and comfortable for fans. Is there a is there a second runner-up to .com for for a generic one? I mean .co I've seen. There's a lot of .ios out there. Uh, yeah. Anything like that? We do see a lot of artists registering their country uh, country TLDs, um, so .ca mm -hmm. or um, .co.uk, um, but .net is also pretty popular. Oh yeah, cool. Uh, SEO was like all the talk like five plus years ago, and you started to refer to that a little bit there. Stacy, why is that less discussed these days? I think that goes back to the discussion that we had earlier about things being more under the hood. Um, mm -hmm. Today, I think that uh, this happens because your host is expected to and should be expected to do a lot of the heavy lifting for you. So providing you with secure domains, um, high-end, fast, reliable service that go uh, servers that go a long way towards your page rank, and also just outputting uh, clean website code that's easy for search engines to crawl. Do they submit a sitemap or provide you with a simple way to do this for yourself? If you knock off all of those things or if your host takes care of them for you, then there's not much more that you have to do other than paying attention to the type of content that you're outputting. Um, so then it becomes more of a discussion uh, about your marketing and your communications instead of your SEO, which is not honestly not that exciting for fans to be thinking about. Yeah. So you sort of referred to this at the beginning of the interview, Stacey, but, but when did you guys move from being a pure website design hosting service to a platform that helps artists with monetization? And what led you there? Yeah. So Benzoogle is a really old company. Um, and when we started out, what was really important for artists then was just having some kind of online presence um, and a place to post uh, photo albums from your shows. Blogs were just becoming important and maybe your show dates so uh, your fans knew where to find you. Digital distribution and streaming service didn't exist then. Um, we've always put 
uh, much of our resources into research and development and focusing on what bands need today. And that's been changing so rapidly in the music scene. So I would say that our underlying goal of providing relevant tools for artists today has always stayed the same, but the world around Banzoogle has been changing so quickly and the needs of artists have been evolving so quickly. So we've never really just seen ourselves as a design and hosting tool, but at one point, 17 years ago, that's what artists needed. Right. Yeah, just some, some place to have an online presence without knowing a lick of code. And uh, Benzoogle is constantly adapting to those needs and providing those tools for independent artists, labels, managers, and all types of music, uh, music businesses. And honestly, being a part of how that's manifested over the last, I've been at Benzoogle for 13 years, has been really exciting. That's, that's cool. Dave, what trends are you seeing in direct-to-fan monetization and how has it impacted Benzoogle as a business? You know, I'd say the biggest trend that we're seeing is just the need to diversify revenue streams in the music industry, I mean, even more so um, these days. So I think that dictates a lot of how we develop new features and how can we best help musicians monetize their their websites and their online presence. So, I mean, I think it was 2007, Banzoogle launched its first sort of MP3 download store, and that was like a big deal back then. So, you know, direct fan monetization has taken on so many different, uh, there's so many different revenue streams. So now... Just at Banzoogle, you can sell and stream your music, of course, in various formats. You can sell physical merch, digital merch like videos and PDFs. You can sell tickets, live stream tickets. Stacy mentioned crowdfunding, launching an online fan club, accept tips and donations, you know, all through your website. So it's in terms of trends, it's really just trying to stay on top of what are the different ways that artists are able to monetize their music and how can Banzoogle build out tools that will help their members do that through their website again on that real estate that they own and control and they can maybe capture that extra email address or data to help them in the long term hey i want to i want to break down some of what you just said because you just rattled off a list of of ways that bands can monetize and i could barely even catch catch up with you there so um you said that they can get downloads from from their website Mm -hmm. Um, and also stream. I mean, do you guys have the ability so that somebody's like paying for a streaming? What what are they doing? A subscription or? Oh no no no. no. So the, the, you can offer. It's just it's a music player. So they it's not a monetized music player. Oh, in, gotcha. In the streaming okay. sense. Although we are seeing our members through the fan subscriptions and creating an online fan club, essentially charging like five or ten bucks a month to their fans, and they have their full catalog behind a paywall for their subscribers only that has oh, all so- of their music players. So it's like a private streaming service in a sense for their fans for just their music as a way to have fans support them that way so they can kind of piece together between the um the streaming player which was not me- was not built as a, a monetized stream they can put that behind a paywall as part of the subscription tool that you have exactly yeah wow and are you you're seeing some bands do that yeah and there's actually a relatively popular request um, um, and user story for our members of like, this is what I would want to do with that type of feature. So it's, it's kind of cool. It's like a, you know, it's, it's, it's an online fan club that where you just get an on sort of a private streaming service for your favorite band. You know, a lot of the bands you members are doing more than that. Like that would be maybe tier one and then tier two would be all the albums available for streaming. Plus, um, once a month live streaming show behind the paywall for subscribers only that kind of thing so if you're getting into different tiers you can offer more than just the streaming catalog but the streaming catalog is often that that first tier 
Are you guys able to, I mean, how, do, how does somebody piece together that live streaming piece for like a performance on video live stream? Um, if they want to do it on their website behind it, like say for, um, for their subscribers only, right. um, yeah. you know, we recommend, there's a couple ways to do it, but we recommend uh, Crowdcast mostly because it's embeddable. Like Zoom is not an embeddable uh, on a website. As uh, so I right. know they were working on that. I'm not sure if that's a thing yet, but uh, Vimeo also does it, but Vimeo is really cost prohibitive for live streaming uh, for bands. I think it's like a hundred dollars a month for their premium um, subscription where you get live streaming. Whereas Crowdcast is a little bit more um, focused on artists. And so I've seen a lot of artists embed their Crowdcast live streams um, behind that, that paywall. Um, you can do it with other services, which I won't name, but whether or not those break the terms of service of those services by taking that stream behind a paywall somewhere else. I don't know. Mm. <laughs> but, um, gotcha. Musicians are doing it uh, on various platforms, but, um, but yeah, Crowdcast is probably the one that we're seeing most. So on the subscription side of how you guys operate with bands, you basically create this paywall and then from a, a URL within their website hosted by Bandzoogle, they could put any kind of widgets there or contents of wide variety of stuff. Yeah, they can gate essentially. So Bandzoogle subscriptions feature is really powerful and flexible. So you can create something that's very simple, you know, one or a couple tiers that all the contents on one page, or you can actually gate various pages and have con different content on the different pages it's really up to the artist how they want to manage the content and manage the 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 fan experience um for that content but yeah so all, it's it's all possible through that feature and so um i would imagine you started getting more requests for this or more engagement with this when when the whole uh pledge music thing fell apart yes it was already it was already in the works for a long time before that. We launched uh, a few months before fan subscriptions came out, I believe, Stacy. It was we launched a crowdfunding feature, which is a little different, because um, it's more right. it's project based rather than kind of that monthly ongoing recurring revenue. So we had been partners with Pledge Music, as were many, and we had an integration with them. And you know, our members started to contact us, letting us know that something was up. And so we never we never got into the crowdfunding space because of Pledge Music because they you know they were the music crowdfunding platform and they reported sales to SoundScan and um, but through Bandzoogle we also report to SoundScan you can do pre-orders you can do all the things that Pledge Music could do but we just never outwardly promoted that fact and so when Pledge Music uh -huh. uh, went under we officially launched crowdfunding through Bandzoogle and we're seeing our members raise you know anywhere between a few thousand bucks to in the tens upon tens of thousands of dollars commission free with those sales being reported to SoundScan for the billboard charts. And so it's, that was more of a reaction to the pledge thing. The fan subscriptions was, had been in the works for, for a long time um, and came, it just happened to come out within a few months of, of pledge uh, going under. It's interesting. As we talk about these various categories of, of direct to fan monetization, it makes it look a little bit like some of these companies were a feature not a company <laughs> and you guys just keep adding those companies features as features within Banzoogle. Yeah. It's interesting because, um, basically Banzoogle is not, uh, we're not privately funded. We never accepted outside capital. Um, so we're in a really interesting position compared to other tech music companies where we don't have to answer to anybody or make decisions based on profits or anything like that. So a lot of the things that we add have to do with what our members are requesting. 
And uh, <laughs> so you'll see you'll see trends come up with different companies launching different services, but those are reactive to what artists need. Uh, I think the biggest issue with us is um, it's more a matter of ethics and who you want to do business with. And we have found that um, hmm. it's easier to rely on yourself and build out tools that you know are going to be available in the long term um, if your members are requesting that sort of thing. Yeah, you know, I think that goes back to something earlier we talked but about in the conversation. But to me, it feels like people realize, artists, bands, etc., realize that it would be best if they own their own platform to build all this stuff off of. But it just wasn't easy to do. And now there's tools in place like Banzoogle where you can actually do this stuff and add these features and so forth and not only own your platform, but open up each of these revenue streams and own the relationship with the fans. I mean, that's the other thing that gets so frustrating, whether it's with streaming services or social media platforms, is there's all of a sudden there's a whole other company between you and your fan. And sometimes you have to pay to access your fans <laughs> to message them. <laughs> um, and you're really, you know, by sending your fans off to these other companies, you're basically building their businesses instead of your own. Whereas if they have their own URL, it's crazy to think that a URL is like the, like I say platform, but I don't just mean tech platform, but like physical platform. It's the foundation of just being able to build those relationships to have a place. It's like, just like brick and mortar. Like you have to have a location and that's the digital location. So, you know, uh, I want to ask you, Dave, about one or two more of the direct-to-fan things, and then we'll, we'll, uh, I want to get back into streaming a little bit. Are you, um, you mentioned the tips, the tips piece. Is that the kind of thing that they have to go to the band's website to use that tip feature, or is that tip feature something they can put in other places like Instagram Live or YouTube Live or Facebook or, or whatever? Um, no, something that they... Uh, the fans would have to go to the artist website uh, to leave a tip. Like those services, uh, I don't think would let us even if we build something <laughs> to build it directly into those live streams. But you can put a link, obviously, uh, in your Instagram bio and pin the comment on Facebook, which is a popular thing, or putting the link in a overlay image overlay on the live stream on Facebook putting the link in YouTube, that kind of thing. So that's what we're seeing artists do. And, you know, you drive fans to your website to leave a tip. And I mean, we launched that feature in early May and Benzoom members have generated roughly $200,000 in tips. I think the average is just over $42 per tip, which is impressive. And so, um, you know, you have to let your fans, give your fans the opportunity to support you. And, you know, the tip charge is one small way to do that. But the idea of driving your fans, instead of posting a PayPal link or Venmo you know, address or whatever. If you drive fans to your website to leave a tip, you can strategically place that tip jar on your store page or your music page. And then maybe they shop for something else while they're on your website or they sign up to your mailing list while they're on your website where you won't get that if you're driving them just to a, you know, paypal.me address or or what have you. Well, I'll tell you, I used to play music on the streets and subway platforms of New York City and I never got a $42 tip. So um, that's a pretty good. That's a pretty good average. Um, if you look at the the, the variety of ways that, that people are monetizing through their Banzoogle websites, what is the top category? What are the top couple of categories? What's the breakdown? Stacey, you want to take that one? Sure. So we see a lot of artists now selling um, direct to fan products like merch. 
I would say that that's the biggest category of sales that we have at the moment. Um, and in that, they could be selling anything from like merch, like t-shirts or uh, stickers. Uh, they can get creative <laughs> with the merch that they're selling. But um, they're also selling uh, services through a store such as um, video lessons or that sort of thing. So store products, whether it's digital or physical merch, are the most popular store category at the moment. And that's followed by digital downloads. So selling anything from MP3s to WAVE to FLAC files. And then we've noticed some interesting trends in the last, uh, especially in the last six months, our sales for um, events, because you can you can purchase event tickets off of Benzoogle. And in uh, in March, we realized this is not, <laughs> not something that artists are going to be able to do in the short term. So we launched virtual ticket sales. And we're noticing some interesting trends. So Dave talked about sales from tips. Um, and we've noticed that artists in general are selling, are earning two times the um, tips that they are in virtual ticket sales. So if you're setting a price for an event, you're likely to earn half as what you would if you're just accepting tips and the, uh, the live stream is free. So there's some, some really interesting trends emerging. Um, but we're also, we're also noticing an uptick in our subscription sales. And artists are just uh, finding really new and interesting ways to to reach their fans and to monetize their relationships. Right. Makes sense. So something we haven't talked about yet. Um, if you look at the music industry as a whole, it appears, at least if you read the music trades, that the primary engine of monetization music these days appears to be on music streaming services like Spotify, Apple Music, Apple Prime, etc., Dave, I'm curious, what should artists be doing in terms of their web presence to leverage the fact that most music listeners are listening via streaming, but it's more profitable for them to sell direct to fans? Yeah, it's a great question. It's, it's, you know, it's a question I'm sure a lot of musicians ask themselves almost on a daily basis. Um, and I think the, you know, the reality is that if you're a musician, some of your fans will only stream your music on their favorite platform. So whether it's Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon, whatever. And that's fine. And, you know, with Spotify, especially, there's a huge music discovery component there that gets lost in the discussion over the, you know, fractions of a penny of payouts, which is a whole other issue. But there is, I have several, you know, friends whose careers have completely exploded on Spotify because of getting added to playlists. And so there's that whole part of it that is beneficial to musicians, but I digress talking about revenue streams. So, you know, it's, it's important for musicians to have their, music available on streaming platforms. I think that's pretty much a given now. It wasn't even just a few years ago, but it definitely is now. So I think it's important, and this goes back to the diversity of diversifying your revenue streams, all the fans are not created equal. So again, some fans will only stream. Some might stream your music and go, oh, I really like this band. I'm going to support them even more and buy their album through their website or Bandcamp or whatever. Others might buy your merch. Some are going to contribute to crowdfunding. Others might be willing to subscribe to you monthly through fan subscriptions, you know, and then it, I think Ari Herstand calls it the pyramid of investment. So you kind of put your fans on this pyramid. And, and again, you have to give a lot of options to all the different types of fans that you're going to have um, and give them as many options as possible to support you financially. Because if you just concede that, well, people are only streaming these days, so I'm just going to put my music on Spotify, you're missing out on, you know, Dave Cool going to your website and going like, I really love this band. Here's a $42 tip. Like, you guys are great kind of thing. So it's important for artists these days to just make sure that their music is 
available on streaming, but also that they're giving their fans who want and are willing to, and who are diehard fans, super fans, giving them other options to support them. And so that's, that's becoming, it's always been important, but I think in the last couple of years, and especially this year, it's, it's really become um, pivotal for, for musicians to, to do that and to get that set up now get their online presence set up and stacy alluded to before you know since march i mean we're seeing a huge uptick in you know musicians focusing on their websites more as a as a way to monetize and and dimitri you mentioned it like fan subscriptions i mean we're seeing a huge you know interest in that specific revenue stream and a lot of artists joining bands you go for that or longtime members giving that a try and making you know between a few hundred bucks a month to thousands of dollars a month that wasn't you know that they weren't getting yeah. before so it's you know it's important just i think for musicians to keep in mind that streaming dominates yes but um it's not all your fans are only going to stream but also on the flip side not all your fans are going to give you 10 bucks a month there's there's a lot of in between there um, but it's important to, get, to have those options available to give yourself the best chance at you know monetizing and, and earning a livable yeah. Wage, you know? So, so just just the fact that you, I think your point there is that sure, there's a lot of listening activity going on in the streaming services, but you're leaving money on the table if you don't create this this place where per, for people to land and engage in commerce with you more and support you more. Yes, that is a much more concise way yeah. of saying what I just said. <laughs> <laughs> and and have you seen any uh, clever tactics to try to draw people from the streaming services to your website to, to engage in that way? I don't even know how you would do that. I mean, I guess you could you could advertise on social media um, and and so forth. I don't know if you can engage with any sort of um, link link tracking services to know who those people are who are going off to those uh, streaming services. Have you seen any, any cool tactics to draw people back to your website from streaming? Honestly, not specifically. I know like with a service like show.co, you can run Spotify audio mm -hmm. ads. So if it doesn't go against their terms of service, I wonder if musicians, now I'm just brainstorming, but I wonder if musicians could use those audio ads as a way to be like, make sure, you know, hope you like my music, make sure to check out, myband.com yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. And I know Pandora has a has some sort of messaging platform for artists where they can they can do shout outs yes. to fans. I don't I don't know whether there's terms of service around that as as well and it just makes me wonder if you get clever with with cookies and and link uh, link tracking if there's a way to kind of send people off to streaming services and then you know they're at those streaming services and and advertise towards them. Of course, that takes money as well, which brings us to social media. I'm curious are there any best practices for bridging connecting social media activity uh, with artist websites and direct to fan sales, Dave, do you, do you have thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a question that comes up a lot and, and, you know, we still get asked like, do you still need a website? And then we've already been over that, but, but we don't want to also, um, disparage social media or say it's, it's not important. It's super important. It's just, it's different. It's a different tool in the toolbox for musicians. So it's really important to engage with fans on social media. Obviously it's a great way to find new fans, but you know, as an artist, you should be regularly sprinkling your your organic content with posts that are driving fans to your website. So again, so that you can capture the data, capture that email address, hopefully, so that you can own that relationship going forward. And, you know, with Banzoogle, you know, Banzoogle is a platform and we have a built-in mailing list and you get your domain name, but you own the domain name. Banzoogle just manages it for you. It's included in membership. The mailing list database that you collect the emails, but if for whatever reason you leave Vance Google 
you own the domain name, you own that database, you own your content. So it's just, it's more, the message is more just owning that piece of real estate, owning that data, owning the emails. So with social media, you know, making sure that you're driving fans back to your website. And then you can get into what you mentioned to me too, is like, you know, we uh, were one of the, uh, Facebook pixel integration partners. So you can embed a Facebook pixel and sort of get a little bit fancier with remarketing campaigns that way. Um, you know, we're going to be doing some work with show.co through our partnership with CD baby coming up. That'll show our members how to leverage their websites for more remarketing purposes like that on various platforms. So, you know, you can really drill into, um, content marketing and, and remarketing and things like that. But at, at the base level, musicians should always be thinking of ways to bring their fans from their social platforms back to their website to try to capture that data and um, hopefully monetize while they're there. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, you mentioned the, this partnership with, with CD Baby and Show.com. I'm curious for either of you, Stacey or Dave, what, what are some other interesting music tech partnerships or, or integrations that uh, we haven't talked about that you guys have? Um, okay. Well, so this is a tricky question to be completely honest, because Ben Dougal has spent so many years building relationships and trust with our members. So we're always very careful about who we partner with. CD Baby is a great partner because they share the same ethics that we do. Um, and our partners really become like family to us, just as our members do. So we want to make sure that anybody that we partner with will stick around and that our members can trust them. Like we talked about this before too, like if our members, uh, if our customers are asking for something specific, um, we usually decide that it's just better to build it ourselves. Um, and that's one of the, uh, the driving forces between our all-in-one offering. Um, we don't have to worry about the tool becoming unavailable at some point, or we'll be able to, uh, and we'll be able to integrate it nicely with our existing platform. And we've seen so many businesses come and go for whatever reason, whether it's toxic startup culture, over leveraging or whatever. So there's there's so many options. But once you bring our ethics and our longevity into it, we're not left with that many choices. And I think Dave can talk about this more because he's spoken to almost oh, all of them already. Well, we don't have to we don't have to name drop anyone with the toxic culture. But Dave, are there some that you guys do have partnerships with that you want to mention? You know, we work with a lot of companies um, like say so much, and I, I pretty much talk to them all because um, Benzoogle has been around for a long time. So we talk to a lot of startups, but we don't work with a ton of startups, partially because, you know, we're not sure if they're going to be around for a while. Station mentioned this earlier before, I think, as well. Like, you know, we, we have a lot of tr our members trust Benzoogle. And so we have to be we're right. very careful of who we work with, what their intentions are. Are they just looking to spam our audience? you know, for their product or service. So, um, you know, in terms of tech companies, there aren't a lot that we work with. We work with a lot of music associations right. and music schools and, um, you know, Soundfly, you know, online education, Ari Hurstan, like people that are out there, you know, educating musicians. There's a lot of those partnerships exist, but on the tech side, not a ton because there's all, you know, depending on our other partnerships, there can be limitations or we simply don't want to work with certain companies for a variety of reasons, whether it's competitiveness or just, ethics or differences in approaches, that kind of thing. But, you know, CD, like I mentioned before, like we have a new partnership with CD Baby where they had for the longest time a competing, you know, website platform called Host Baby. And it was kind of a, I'll try to make this very quick, but it was kind of a fun personal thing for me because I've been following music tech for 
20, a little over 20 years. And for the longest time, CD Baby was my favorite. They were basically the first, you know, to get your music up on Amazon, like way back in the day to sell your CDs. Um, and then Banzoogle launched and they were based in my hometown of Montreal. And Banzoogle was my favorite tech company. So there was CD Baby and Banzoogle. And then Banzoogle hired me uh, <laughs> you know, years later. And the two companies couldn't work together for obvious mm-hmm. reasons because they were competing on the host baby side. So for all these years later to finally see the two who I feel have always been the most musician friendly, artist friendly tech companies come together and work together has been a personal <laughs> joy. And, you know, we're seeing, it's been such a great relationship on both ends and, you know, our members now have access to CD baby distribution and CD baby can drive their members to, um, a website platform that is current and, and modern and, you know, has all these direct to fan um, e-commerce tools built in. And so it's been, it's been great to, to work with them. And I mentioned show.co before. So CD baby has these promotional tools that, that we don't have. So it's going to be a great opportunity for us to educate our members on, on some promotional tools they can use and, and how to use advertising effectively and remarketing and things like that. So I'd say that, it's, it's top of mind because they are a big partner and, and it's a very still a very relatively recent thing. It was at their DIY conference last year where we announced it. So it's, uh, it's very new. So with other tech companies, there's not a bunch um, mm-hmm. and there's a variety of reasons for that. But there's definitely a lot of companies out there that we, that we like um, that we're not necessarily working with. Yeah. Well, you know, that's actually my next question. What what are other music tech companies that excite you right now? And again, this is not about partnerships at this point, but just stuff that you're kind of keeping an eye on. You like what they're doing. You like what they're adding to the mix. Yeah, totally. Um, you know, there's, there's I mentioned show.co, which is kind of a separate entity from CDBB, although they own it. But, um, you know, there's session, the live streaming space is interesting, obviously. Mm-hmm. I mean, that <laughs> goes without saying. But, you know, seeing new entrants into it, like sessions, um, is an interesting one. And even like a legacy platform like Stage It, I'm really interested to see what happens with them. I mean, they've been around for eight or nine years and all of a sudden the pandemic hit and there's this renewed uh, focus on them. So really curious about what they do for next steps. Um, More in the startup world, uh, really love what um, the guys at RootNote are doing around data. I think they're based in Nashville. Mm-hmm. They're helping artists, you know, gather all their data in one place and putting in the context for musicians, which is really important because you can collect all the data you want, but if you don't know how to put it in the context and then use it. Um, and, you know, collaboration tools, there's so many and there's more popping up all the time. But one that got my attention recently was Soundstorming, which is kind of a collaboration tool for musicians to engage with their fans during the creation process so they're almost mm-hmm. like i guess it's the name like they're brainstorming music and songwriting with their fans kind of in real time which is kind of interesting concept so a couple of things like that around data and online collaboration and live streaming are kind of what's catching my eye these days yeah makes sense we actually have had soundstorming on the uh, on the podcast so people can look back at our episode and hear from Arno and Alicia there. Um, it's cool, cool kind of social media audio music thing with, with fan mm-hmm. collaboration, which is pretty cool. Stacy, any, any other kind of companies or, or trends in music tech that you're excited about right now? 
Yeah, I think it's really interesting how bands are reaching um, different demographics right now. Um, when COVID hit in March, uh, and I'm a huge music consumer and fan, I felt really overwhelmed by the sheer amount of Instagram and Facebook live videos that were happening. Oh, yeah. Like my kids, they've watched a cu- I have three kids, they've watched a couple of concerts on Fortnite and Minecraft. And I thought it was really interested, interesting to see how artists are reaching these different age groups. Uh, like if you ask any of my kids' friends who their favorite bands are, what they're listening to, it's all video game music. Um, so it's really interesting to see artists be present for that and just understand how people are consuming music and how to reach them and just how quickly that's changing since March. Yeah, that's cool. We actually had um, a, a company called Genesis on the podcast uh, that is building festivals in Minecraft. I also have an 11-year-old, so I'm always talking about <laughs> Minecraft as well. And um, we've we've tried to watch some, some festivals there, although actually what I ended up seeing was a, um, a YouTube... Uh, recording of a a DJ that was about to play a set at Minecraft and he was just he was like a kid in a candy shop running around his avatar in Minecraft and and just being a a, a goofball but <laughs> I'm really I'm really interested in those those platforms and we're going to be exploring that at the uh, Music Tectonics conference we also have the head of music for Roblox um, which is another uh, you know huge gaming platform especially for the younger set and they're really interested in getting into music too so excellent so this has been great guys I really appreciate you coming on to the the podcast and, and giving us this deep dive, not only in Banzoogle, but kind of the, the whole fan monetization, the direct-to-fan uh, s- side of things, and uh, and just like some of these larger trends. So it's uh, uh, great to have you. You guys are going to be at Music Tectonics. I know you'll be having your booth there so people can come and learn about you more at the conference. Um, as we wrap up, is there any final shout-out, Stacy? you want to you wanna send out? Oh, I just want to end with giving a huge shout out to our our members and to say thank you for your support, your trust, and your beautiful music. Awesome. Well, Dave, Stacy, thanks so much for being on the show. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you so much for listening to the Music Tectonics podcast. We bring you episodes at least once a week. We're going to be ramping it up as we have more and more episodes with some of the folks that are going to be at the Music Tectonics conference. Again, that's October 27th and 28th um, online this year. You can go to musictectonics.com. I want to give a shout out to my friend Jay Gilbert, who's launched another podcast for Your Morning Coffee, which is a great weekly email newsletter with a news roundup of what's going on in the music industry. Now he is doing it in podcast form too and also shout out to the music tectonics app it's a community where you can meet folks in the innovation music tech world and share articles have discussions and so forth without all the noise and uh, politics and everything else that goes on social media so check out music tectonics in either of the app stores or at app.musictectonics.com sign up for our newsletter at musictectonics.com and keep listening thanks so much You're listening to Music Tectonics.